0: Our sermon text this evening is John Chapter Six, John Chapter Six, and I'll begin reading in verse twenty five. That everyone who looks on the sun and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Well, this summer... Um, we'll be looking at the seven I Am sayings of Jesus. And these all show a unique aspect of Jesus as Israel's great I Am. He is their God in human form. However, for some of us, at least for myself, um, these I Am sayings can be a bit difficult to resonate with. Uh, Like when Jesus says, I am the vine, how many people immediately knows what he's talking about, unless you have a garden, or you work in a greenhouse, or when he says, I am the good shepherd, how many of us are acquainted with what a shepherd does on a day-to-day basis, unless you work on a farm, and I did not grow up on a farm, Um, but for those of us who um, are not that in tune with nature, we might not get these metaphors right away. Uh, we might not get the full force of the metaphor. But Jesus being the bread of life, man, everybody loves bread. And if you say you don't love bread, and if you're gluten-free, you you know you miss it. You know you miss bread. And just like bread is a common food for us, um, bread for Israel was actually very common for them. And the nerdy seminarian Emmy wants to show you, every time... Bread shows up in the Bible, but we'd be here all night. (laughs) Um, So I'll spare you that. Nevertheless, the word bread in the mind of an Israelite would be similar to how we might think of eggs and bacon for breakfast. Or a stroke waffle and coffee. Um, And now, now Pastor Cruz told me that he didn't even think those were real. Um, he thought I had made it up. And I'm like, you've been here longer than me. How have you not heard? <laughs> How has no one given you a stroke waffle yet? He's like, you're, you're probably not even pronouncing it right. <laughs> I'm probably not. <laughs> um, so be sure to give him a hard time when he gets back. But think of a common food that you just have all the time and is a normal part of your routine. Well, that's what bread was for Israel. Well, one commentator says bread in the ancient world was a crucial, element of the normal diet. But bread wasn't just something that they had in common meals at home. It also had covenantal significance. As you you might remember, the bread, the use of bread was part of the Passover, Israel's covenant meal. And when God instituted the Passover in Exodus 12, the bread had a sacramental function for them. Unleavened bread was a reminder that God's redemption happened so quickly, so swiftly, that they did not have time to put leaven in the bread. And they ate the Passover the night before they left Egypt, and they continued to celebrate it in the wilderness. And for an Israelite, bread was common and connected with salvation. And even further, bread pointed to God's provision, especially during their wilderness wanderings. Well, One of the most important and most remembered aspects of Israel's time in the wilderness is all the grumbling and complaining they do. We remember that, don't we? In Exodus 16, they grumbled and complained against Moses, revealing a lack of faith, a lack of contentment with their God. They're thinking, Moses, the the Passover just isn't enough. We're hot, we're hungry. And we need more food than this little meal that happens once a year. So they tell Moses, Moses, why, why did you even bring us out here? You brought us out here in the desert. And now we are about to die. You have this grumbling and complaining people, panicking, frantic even. But God's response to his grumbling and anxiety Ridden people is not wrath, it's grace. He still fed them with bread from heaven. And so, all of this context I think is important because right before our text, in the first few verses of John chapter 6, um, we see God's people are once again hungry, they're once again needy and frantic, ridden with anxiety. We're told in John 6, verse 4, it was the Passover. And there's a big, hungry crowd. But the disciples, they don't know what to do. And they find this little boy, and the little boy has a little lunchable, as it were, just a few loaves and fists. But there are too many mouths to feed. And what does Jesus do? He provides an overabundance of food for them. And they're allowed to take leftovers. Remember when the manna came from heaven in the wilderness? They couldn't take anything with them. Or it would get all nasty and stinky. And yet this time there's an overflow of food. They can take leftovers. But, but notice the parallel. God provided for his hungry people in a miraculous way in the Old Testament when he rained the manna from heaven... And then here in the New Testament, we see Jesus feeding the 5,000 in a miraculous way. And I think John makes the parallel on purpose to show that the echoes of Exodus are all throughout John's gospel. Now, the verses I read for us this evening take place just one day after Jesus fed the 5,000. So the people are aggressively pursuing Jesus because they... They just witnessed something incredible, something amazing. And they're thinking, this guy, he must be a prophet. He, he must be the prophet, and he's probably our long-expected king. And that's what they tried to do. They tried to make him their king. But Jesus went away from them. He withdrew from them. It wasn't his time to be exalted yet. And so he goes off by himself. And a day later, they're still looking for him. Everyone's getting on their boats trying to find where Jesus, the miracle worker, went. But when they found him, they would be utterly surprised. And so they find Jesus the next day, but Jesus calls them out in verse 26. Verse 26, he says, you're seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. In other words, you're not looking for me because you want to believe in me. You, you just want food again. You're just hungry again. And they were content to eat the bread that Jesus brought from heaven, but they missed out on Jesus, who was the bread from heaven. They only wanted him for their physical needs. And Jesus, he he calls them out on them. And he pushes them to go a little bit deeper. Now, this isn't to say their physical needs were somehow unimportant. After all, he had just fed the 5,000, right? But he does want them to know that he offers something more permanent and more abiding than the physical bread could give them. He's telling them, while your mind is stuck on food that goes into your body, I have this food that will feed your soul. And so he repeats the phrase twice in verses 35 and 48. He says, I am the bread of life. And in doing so, he invokes the divine name of God. I am. The divine name was first revealed to Moses in Exodus 3. And once again, the theme of Exodus runs all throughout John's gospel. And now Jesus is saying, well, he is the I am. He is the everlasting God. And he's the bread of life sent from the father to give life to his people. He wants to make it abundantly clear in verse 48 that he's not like the bread their fathers ate. The bread that their fathers ate, the manna from heaven, it it was nice and all. But they still died, didn't they? They still died. But the bread that he provides in himself leads to eternal life. And because that's where Jesus places his emphasis, that's where I want to place the emphasis. That he himself is the bread of life. He's not like the bread that their fathers ate. And so our main point is quite simple. Jesus satisfies our hunger unlike anything this world ever could. So we'll look at this in two ways, two ways that Jesus is our bread of life. Well, one, he abundantly provides what we need. Jesus abundantly provides what we need. In our, ton- in our context, we saw that God's people are a needy people, and prone to grumbling and complaining. But God, knowing this, does not forsake, him, forsake them. He does not abandon them, but goes above and beyond to meet their need. And if you're a parent, you know exactly what that's like. Like your, your, your kid comes to you with a scraped knee, right, and you meet the need. You give him a Band-Aid, but what else do you do? Like let's go, let's go get some ice cream on top of that, right? Well, that's what Jesus did when he fed the five thousand. He abundantly provided what they needed, their physical needs. But I, but I want us to think more personally. Think of the things that you need on a daily basis, like money to pay bills, food, tools for a house project, or to fix a vehicle without diminishing those things jesus says that he can satisfy even the deeper desires of your heart and the jews went all out trying to find jesus after he fed them only because they wanted more bread they wanted him for the wrong reasons how would you feel if somebody only talked to you when they needed something when they wanted something And maybe you have that friend. They're they're always coming to you when they want some money, um, when they want something from you. Or maybe you're, you're that friend. You're always going to other people when you need something, when you want something. But is our relationship with Jesus like that? Do you go to Jesus only when you want him to do some worldly problem that you need fixed? Do you only want him because he can you think he can fix your marriage because you think he'll make your kids act right, because he'll make you wealthy or he'll put food in your belly. These things aren't bad. It is not bad to want those things. But if that is you, then you're just, if you only want Jesus for those things, then you're just like Israel going to Jesus to perform another miracle. They just wanted this stuff That Jesus could give them. They wanted a meal and not the Messiah. And if that's you, then he calls you to go deeper. Yes, you have these very real problems, but underneath the surface, there is a spiritual hunger in all of us. Don't you long for the day when you won't have anxiety about everything. Don't you long for a day when you won't have to worry And wonder when death is going to take another loved one from you. But Jesus tells you, come to him today. And he says, if if I can multiply little loaves and fish and feed thousands, then surely my abundant grace can meet your every spiritual need today, right now. Now, coming to Jesus does not mean he'll fix all your worldly problems. But he does promise to feed you and to satisfy the longings of your heart. There's not one spiritual need that you can't take to Jesus where he won't repay you with his abundant grace. In fact, if you are a Christian today, you already have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So you can take your spiritual hunger to him. That desire for love and approval from others. That longing for peace and security that you have. Lay hold of Jesus and see how he'll meet every need far more abundantly than you can ever ask or think. But he cannot satisfy you as long as he remains outside of you. Calvin says as long as Christ may, remains outside of you, all that he has suffered, all that he has done for his salvation is useless to you. It is of no value to you. In other words, Christ must become yours. You must own him. You must claim him for yourself or to use the language of the Bible, you must eat his flesh and drink his blood. The call is not merely to have Jesus alongside of you or next to you as you live your life. The call is to have Jesus in you. You must eat his flesh and drink his blood or you have no part of his kingdom. But when you eat the bread of life, Jesus will abide in you. And our response should be to make it our aim to enjoy him. And that's our second point. Aiming to enjoy Christ by faith. I think that really sums up what it means to eat the bread of life. Aiming to enjoy Christ by faith. Now, this is a strong metaphor that Jesus is the bread of life and we're called to Eat him, And though it's a strong metaphor, we should never shy away from it. The early church was not ashamed to speak of eating Christ's body and drinking his blood. In fact, there was a governor named Pliny the Younger, and he lived during the early church. He wrote a letter to the emperor about what to do with the Christian problem. Christians were viewed as a peculiar people back then, we, we still are now, aren't we? But one of the weird things Christians were accused of was cannibalism. And you can see why. They're all, they're always talking about eating flesh and drinking blood. And this was a normal way of speaking for them. But you still might have this question. What exactly does it mean to eat the bread of life? Especially at this point when um, the the Lord's Supper is not instituted yet And In this part of john up, up to this point the lord's supper is not instituted well to answer this question i'd like to use an analogy for us let's say you go home this evening and you haven't eaten dinner yet so you're, you're really hungry and you go to make yourself your favorite meal and you get you get all the silverware out you get the napkins out you set the table Then you sit down, and for 30 minutes, you just stare at the plate. You just look at it. You never actually eat it. That would be super awkward and weird, wouldn't it? You would say, well, that's not the purpose of preparing a meal. The goal is to eat and enjoy the food. Yet how many of us are content? with letting our relationship with Christ be just like that. Just like that plate on the table. Prepared, but not eaten, and not enjoyed. I mean, looking at the food is somewhat enjoyable, right? If it's your favorite move or your favorite meal, you can just look at it and get enjoyment from it. But how much more enjoyable is eating the food? And that's the only way you're going to get nourishment from it, right? So you may come to church. You may do your family devotional, um, private devotionals. And yet, are you actually enjoying Christ? Or is it all just routine? You just do religious things because, well, that's how we always, that's how we always done it. Um, but Jesus does not want your relationship with him to be merely formal. He wants you, by faith, to enjoy him. And that's what eating the bread of life is all about. So when you do those devotionals, when you enter your prayer closet, remember you're communing with the one who loves you. In the words, you're reading of the one who came down from heaven and shed his blood for you. His body was broken for you. And he didn't do all of that. He didn't create faith in your heart. So that you would simply go through the motions of religion or that he would have to share you with other food choices. Aiming to enjoy Christ means experiencing the pleasure of salvation. Even when life is hard. When you get the cancer diagnosis and you know Christ is the bread of life and he'll never leave you nor forsake you. And though your flesh may fail, God is your strength and your portion forevermore. When you know that whatever happens, whatever life might give you, he's the bread of life. He nourishes your soul. When you lose your job and you don't know how you're going to pay the bills and put food on the table and you say, Christ is the bread of life who feeds me, he comforts me. He is with me always, abiding in my heart. I have fellowship with him. I enjoy him. Even in those dark moments, Christ is the bread of life. But notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, I have the bread of life. Like when you're going to borrow money from somebody, they can say, well, I have $20 for you. Um, but that's all I have right now. He didn't say, I have the bread of life, as if to say, there are other places you can get this bread. Like, you can get bread from Meijer, you can go to Aldi's, you can go to Costco. What, he, what did he say? He said, I am the bread of life. Which means this kind of bread isn't found anywhere else. Only He can give it. It never runs out. And whoever eats this bread will live forever. Because it's living bread. And Jesus is alive and well right now. And He feeds us. Isn't that what we believe in the Lord's Supper? As surely as we eat the bread. And drink the wine. Christ is feeding our soul by his spirit. And all of this sounds nice, right? But how do you get it? That's the question, really. How do you get the bread of life? The bread of life can be yours. If you would just do this one thing. If you would just pay 9.99. That's not what the text says. Just making sure you're paying attention. No, the bread of life becomes yours when you believe. Notice how many times belief is repeated. Verse 29. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Verse 35. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Verse 36, yet you have seen me and do not believe. Verse 40, everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. If you want to know what you have to do or what work you need to do to get the bread of life, the great thing is you don't have to work for it at all. It's free. And all that God requires of you is belief. Belief. That's how you receive the bread of life. Well, what is believing? Believing is with an open heart, with an open hand, and an open mouth, as it were. You receive the bread of life. It's passive. You don't do anything to get it. You receive it. And that's what Isaiah 55 says. He who has no money come Buy and eat, so tonight you might have come here for the wrong reason. You might have come to church because you liked the girl or you like the guy. You might have come for the food at fellowship meal. You might have come to hang out with people, but whatever reason you 're here, well we 're glad you 're here. But make no mistake: only one thing matters: that you would leave this place full. Not with a full stomach, but with a heart full of faith. Because if you don't eat the bread of life, your spirit will starve and you will die. So as we close, I would encourage you don't just look at the bread, don't just handle the bread. Eat the bread. And by eating the bread of life, you get the life too. You will live forever. So let our prayer be then. Lord, give us this bread always. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your son is bread from heaven and that he is exactly what we need. Um, We all have a spiritual hunger, a spiritual longing in our hearts, And only Christ can fill that. Only Christ can. And so, Lord, um, even as we go throughout the week, will we remember that? um, Christ is the one who comforts our soul. He's the one who feeds us. Um, And even as we celebrate the Lord's Supper next week, will we remember that? By faith, we are called to eat him, to have intimacy with him and commune with him. But we are incapable of doing that on our own. We need your spirit. So would your spirit help us to do that by faith? For in Christ's name we pray, amen.